Hello everyone, I hope you're doing well and healthy. I would like to thank everyone from anywhere you're listening to the podcast. In today's episode, we're going to speak about inclusive robotics community. Have you ever asked yourself, what does inclusion mean to you? Actually, I tried to answer this question, but I found it hard to answer. We're going to talk about what is the meaning of being inclusive robotics community and how we can achieve it. You and your ideas must be heard and you must feel belong inside university or even the lab. I would like to stress it doesn't matter what is your skin color, beliefs, ethnicity, what only matters how you are a good human being who cares about others. I would like to thank my co-host for today's episode, Toru Edward, for her dedication at RSS Inclusion Program, where I'm co-chairing with her, and hope we can come up with a meaningful program for marginalized and underrepresented students at robotics. And also special thanks to Professor Hadas for being a strong advocate for inclusion program at robotics community. I hope you would find this episode useful for many of you. And also, I would like to say, I hope everyone is doing well and healthy during this time. And thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to IEEE Softbox Podcast. Um, uh, today I would like to introduce my co-host Tori, and it's a pleasure to have you in the podcast. Uh, could you please introduce uh, yourself? Hi, my name is Tori Edwards. I am a roboticist. Excited to be here with Marwa today, talking with Professor Hadas Kreskazit. Great. So, Hi everyone, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm Hadas Kreskazit. I'm an associate professor um, of mechanical and aerospace engineering at Cornell University in Ithaca, New York. Um, I've been at Cornell since 2009. Um, I, my research is on high-level verifiable robotics, providing guarantees for robot behaviors and thinking about specifications and verification and synthesis in the context of robotics and, and physical systems. Um, I've worked with, my, my group has worked with uh, modular robots, uh, multi-robot systems, humanoids, um, mobile robots, soft robots. We're kind of collaborating with the uh, Rob Shepard. Um, yeah, that's, that's it. Great. Hi, thank you so much for joining us today, um, both Marwa and Adas. I would love to hear more about what you think diversity inclusion is, and maybe even more so how you found yourself involved in these areas. Uh, that's, that's a big question. <laughs> so it's, it's really, you know, we're researchers, we're researchers in, in, in engineering and robotics and in, in, uh, in all aspects of these engineered systems. And to really make good systems, you need a lot of perspectives and you need a lot of uh, um, ability to listen and to uh, interact and to, uh, I mean, it, it's, there's a lot of research out there to show that people make better systems when there's a lot of perspectives within the room. And those perspectives come a lot of times from different experience, from different identities, from different uh, just life, right? Um, and if everybody looks the same and has the same background and has is interesting in the same topics, then then we don't explore really what we can do. So the way I'm thinking about diversity and inclusion, the it's bringing in all these perspectives and making sure that all these perspectives are welcome and supported and listened to, and historically there have been um, specific groups that have been underrepresented in engineering and STEM more broadly uh, and in robotics in general or robotics more specifically 
and uh, we need to do whatever we can to, to increase the, the representation. So, you know, uh, so people may, may or may not uh, notice from my voice, I, I'm a woman, uh, I'm, I'm a white, white woman, so I belong to um, a group that is uh, underrepresented typically in engineering and I belong to a group that is uh, overrepresented, probably not overrepresented, but it's not a minority. And that brings, that, that lets me bring different perspective to, to my work and to my research and to my mentorship and to everything that I do. And uh, we need to make sure that those, all those things are, are represented. Mm -hmm. uh, that's very interesting. So um, I would like to ask you, when you start inclusion program at RSS conference, how is, was the beginning? It just was easy for you. And um, when you realistically speaking, when you look at the communities of robotics, do you think this problem is already touched uh, in, a, in a deep way and there is enough awareness of this issue? So let, let me kind of, so you asked a few things. So let me first start with a small, kind of the more specific. Um, I was the program chair for Robotic Science Systems 2018. Um, there, I started two initiatives that uh, happened also in 2019, and, and as you guys know, uh, Marwa and, and, and uh, Tori are, are uh, leading one of those initiatives in 2020. Um, those were pioneers, which is intended for um, kind of senior PhD students, postdocs, and so on for as a networking event. And then there's inclusion at, at RSS, which the intent was to bring in uh, young researchers, so undergraduates uh, towards the end, uh, very early career graduate students, so first, second year um, graduate students, and bring them into the conference and provide some mentorship structure um, with the pioneers. And uh, those those uh, students were, were chosen uh, based on how they increase representation uh, in robotics. Mm -hmm. So we... we uh, uh, prioritized people who have never been to a conference. We prioritized uh, people who have never been to RSS. Actually, I think not, none of them have been to a, a robotics conference before when, when we uh, um, created this initiative. Um, and we supported a little over 20 students each year to uh, kind of a travel grant and some mentorship activities throughout the, co the conference. And it, it was very well received by the students who, who participated. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a very strong believer that uh, the way to increase representation is allow access. And part of it is uh, funding, so paying for people. So, you know, typically undergraduates or first or second year students who don't have papers don't go to conferences. So making it easier for them to come to conferences, to understand what the expectations are, to network, to meet other researchers, to meet more senior researchers. Those are things that I think will make an impact. We've done it, you know, done it for two years, so it's kind of hard to tell uh, long term what those what that impact was. But it's you know, uh, and I have to also mention that uh, the women in robotics workshop uh, that, that you guys were in, were obviously involved in um, did a great job in also um, bringing in a lot of women, uh, especially um, at the PhD level, and that that was noticeable in terms of, of the change in demographics of the conference. Yeah. Uh, the other part of your question was, uh, is there enough awareness? I think that was the question. Yeah. yeah. So um, I think it's mixed. I think there is definitely more awareness than there was uh, even 10 years ago. Uh, I think a lot of the conversation tends to revolve around gender, which is not the full picture. Uh, when we talk about international um, 
international conferences, it's a little more difficult to identify underrepresented minorities. So the kind of I'm 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 in the U.S. In the U.S., there's a very clear definition. Uh, so so that's a little bit easier to talk about. Um, but I think a lot of times people equate uh, diversity and inclusion with gender diversity. And that is definitely part of it. I mean, uh, you know, women are 50, over 50% 50 of the population, but uh, that is by no means the only demographic we need to look at. We need to look at uh, racial minorities. We need to look at uh, people with disabilities. We need to look at LGBTQ to make sure that they're welcome and supported and, and comfortable at our conferences. Uh, we need to make sure, you know, Students who are first generation, for example, typically have more hurdles to, to on their path to uh, to graduate research and to, to becoming researchers in the community. So those are other demographics that I think are uh, some places uh, do a lot a really good job with it, um, and some places I would argue are, that is the discussion is still revolving around gender. Mm -hmm. The question you just. The, or the statements you were just making, I'm wondering where, how, sometimes discussions about inclusion, and Marwa and I have certainly found this in our own personal experiences, but also seen examples of it in other podcasts and other sources, that people who hear inclusion turn their ears off. Hmm. They think that's, not, or they say that's not for them. They hear that there's a women breakfast and at ICRA, and so they shouldn't attend. Or that it's a inclusion and they're a white man and so they shouldn't be participating do you how do do you have any insights or ideas about what starts making the conversation more universal because i think in a lot of ways some of the problems that we're seeing with, especially among young researchers while the minorities experience them more heavily are also experienced in ways by the majority as well. So imposter syndrome is a big one discussed right now at the undergraduate level. Um, I would be curious to know if you had thoughts on what makes a more inviting and I wanna say inclusive, but not maybe inclusive in terms of the minority, but inclusive in terms of the discussion. How, does, how do we bridge the gap? Because we're not gonna see inclusion met unless both sides wanna meet it 50-50. Like the, minority can't join the majority unless the majority wants to take part in that conversation. Yeah. Um, so you bring up a bunch of different points that I think are super important. Um, one of them is being an ally, right? So, uh, and one of, you know, one of them is being an ally, right? Make, make, making sure that you support underrepresented group from a place of not being the uh, white savior here to tell you what to do and help you do this because we know better, but rather opening the space for listening and to uh, make changes that are not coming from what you think or for, or for me as a as a majority and in, in some con in some along some dimensions, things should happen as opposed to to listening and and making sure the environment is such that those voices are heard and appreciated and respected. So that's one aspect of it. Another aspect is I think what you're saying is that a lot of things that have to do with inclusion um, are actually makes everybody's life better, right? So uh, thinking about making, ensuring that a climate is, uh, a research climate is supportive, supportive for everyone, not just minorities, not just um, the underrepresented groups. So um, there's a lot of benefit in thinking about ideas 
that uh, uh, that enable inclusion uh, beyond the demographics of the people who are supported. Right? Because as you know, imposter syndrome is an excellent point, right? So um, people who don't know what it is, it's it's the this kind of nagging feeling that you're not as good as people think you are, and you you you're, and it's going to show up soon, right? And all of us, to some extent, uh, suffer from this, or most of us, <laughs> let's mm -hmm. put it that way. Uh, then there's the the, uh, um, um, the inclusion. Oh, the word inclusion. Yes. So I think uh, I've noticed the word, the change in, in phrasing. And I should actually let me just stop for a second and and, and kind of a full kind of uh, full disclosure. I am not an expert in uh, gender studies or. Uh, methods for increasing diversity or inclusion or there are people who study that and they're amazing and we need to listen to them and to think about best practices but i think i have a perspective from you know being a woman in engineering but also being a white woman in engineering so that, that i'm kind of coming from that perspective so let me just kind of uh, be, be very clear about that so the word i've noticed that it's been there's been a change in going from uh diverse from the word diversity to the word inclusion which uh, is still, uh, Tori, you're absolutely right, still creates kind of a, this knee-jerk reaction by some people um, that is just, you know, oh, you know, we've done so much. What do they want from us anymore? You know, this is just a social justice thing, which, you know, social justice is important, and but this is not what we're talking about right now. What we're talking about right now is making sure that research is done in the most optimal way. And once people realize the whole notion of, uh, making sure that our community, our research community, is inclusive. It benefits everybody. It benefits the research. So, so it's not quotas. It's not oh, you must have thirty percent of this group in your group. It, it, that is not the intent. The intent is um, identifying talent of all of all flavors and making sure they're nurtured and. And, and listen to and and able to to grow and and you know support this research endeavor of, of robotics and, and more general uh, stem so i don't you know how to get rid of the of the bad rep that that uh, the word diversity and the word inclusion get and i honestly don't know but other than then again and again and again explaining that inclusion is not a matter of uh a matter of uh you know this kind of kumbaya feeling of everybody needs to, to uh, you know, support. It, it's, it, is, it is a way to make this environment and this um, research enterprise better along multiple dimensions. So how to get, what is the right word to use for that? I'm not quite sure, but uh, it's a matter of, of the, having these conversations and, and, uh, uh, and, and have these conversations around um, the benefits of inclusion and to everyone, as opposed to the negative aspects of kind of a toxic climate and um, and discrimination and harassment and all these things, which which of course are a part of it, but kind of talking about it more from the how do we make everybody's life happier, especially these times, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting. So um, I'm actually I'm curious to ask you because. We have diversity in an academic world, for example, in robotics as well. But maybe there's difference about um, how to reach or the gap from diversity to be inclusive. So 
maybe as a student we can relate to that that maybe you are not included enough in uh, in, your, in in your lab or in the university and and i think that's issue here it's more than um i think it's more deeper as we think about how this issue is complicated so as a rule of RSS conference, how do you think that this something can also transfer to universities or lab? How we can ensure this happening? Is it maybe maybe boiled down to education or uh, outreaching enough? And how do you think this kind of issues can be also tackled inside universities or labs? So interesting that you bring this up. I don't know. Uh, Troy, you weren't there at the NRIPI meeting, right? <clears throat> I don't think you were. Um, no, I was not. Yeah, so there was an NRIPI meeting, and, and Chad Jenkins, who is wonderful, organized a panel kind of on this notion of inclusion. Um, and I was one of the panelists. And we got kind of the same question, right? So how do you, I think it was more on the context, in the context of faculty, of how to retain um, underrepresented faculty. And it comes, it comes back to the same things, right? So make sure you, you listen to people, make sure you give them space to, to express their opinions, listen to what they say, make changes based on what, what they need. And I don't know if as importantly, but definitely kind of up there is make sure you deal with people who don't behave correctly, who don't behave in a way that's supportive and inclusive. Mm -hmm. So if, if, you, if you kind of, uh, you know, brush uh, away uh, bad behavior and, and basically say, oh, you know, but the, that's just the way that person is. I mean, I'm sure you've heard this before, right? So this person made a terrible comment. Oh, yeah, that's just the, that's just the way that person is. Well, you know what? That is, that is, should not be acceptable anymore. You know, things that were accepted 50 years ago should, are, are no longer okay along many different uh, uh, types of behaviors. And what universities need to do is, you know, put their foot down on bad, on bad actors as well. And the reason I bring up the NRIPI panel is because I made kind of a similar statement there that got some pushback. And, uh, and I was surprised that it got the pushback, but, uh, but it did. So, uh, yes, making sure that everybody is held to a high standard is very important to make sure that climate is, uh, is supportive. Uh, otherwise, you know, you can do all these summer outreach programs and all the, the you know, recruitment uh, initiatives and all that. But if, they, if you come into an environment in which people who behave poorly are tolerated or cel even celebrated, then, then you didn't do anything in my mind. Mm -hmm. You think it's, uh, we need a mechanism for that and in university change it? Uh... Because I think that what we said about the uh, uh, podcast is also a comment about diversity and inclusion, maybe is, is like image in the university. And that's why you're saying what kind of regulation or mechanism should be changing. Do you have any idea about that? Well, I think that, the, well, I can talk about the U.S., right? So I'm, I'm in a university in, in, in the U.S. We have the mechanisms. It's just a matter of, you know, it's hard to go against people who are res well respected for their research. Even though they have terrible climate in their um, in their research groups, so I don't think I think the mechanisms are in place. Um, it's a matter of being diligent about enforcing them, and I'm not talking about you know blatant kind of you know sexual harassment or, or, or terribly racist comments and stuff like that. We've been talking about kind of environments that are not conducive for research and and having. Um, 
we do have a lot of training. I can tell you that in the US, we do have, or I can tell you about Cornell, and we do a little more specific. We do have a lot of training on, in terms of, of uh, if you choose to do, <laughs> to do them, mm-hmm. in terms of mentorship and, and uh, uh, climate and in terms of uh, um, appropriate conduct and all that. Um, but sometimes, you know, sometimes the, it's not a specific incident that can get someone fired, but it's a matter of everybody in the community basically saying, you know what, what you're doing now is not okay. You're, you're, you're acting like a bully. You're acting like, you know, and it's hard. It's really hard to do this for, 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 uh, to, with your colleagues, right? So sometimes the behavior that others report is not the behavior that you see because there's a different power differential. Mm-hmm. So people will behave differently towards their peers as opposed to people that they're, um, that, that they're super, that, that they supervise, right? There's, there's this very clear power differential in academia between faculty and students, even between TAs and, you know, uh, graduate students and undergraduate students. And even if the behavior, um, is not something that's, you know, violates a law. There, there are things that can can cause damage in terms of, mm. of uh, an inclusive environment that should be called out. And it's hard. It's really hard. I mean, I, I'm definitely, uh, you know, I definitely sh- should have spoken up in a few times that that I did not, right? Because sometimes it takes you even a while to to realize that something happened that you should have spoken up about, and that's fine. So, right? So it's not. Uh, it's just a matter of. The more we we, the more we expect um, an environment that is supportive and, and inclusive, the more it will happen. So, mm-hmm. but it's hard. I mean, it's really hard. It's, it's changing, you know. Uh, but but thing, and, and things are changing, right? I can see even you know, even if I look at some of the uh, some of the conferences I go to, some of the programs program reviews I go to, some of them are still you know the 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 looking at the audience, it's very clear that, um, well, I don't know if very clear, but it's, it looks very uh, homogeneous, which is disappointing sometimes, um, but things are changing and I'm hopeful. I think yeah. an interesting idea that Marwa and I are, were introduced to recently, actually also by Professor Chad Jenkins, um, was this idea of intellectually inclusive and I think that kind of built off what you were just talking about, about how you're interacting with your colleagues and the difficulties it can be from the student to the professor, the professor to the senior professor, and how those interactions happen. How do you see intellectual inclusivity at your own university, out in the community? Do you, How do you see those also playing a role maybe in some of this idea about inclusion, meaning support in under all types, like an encompassing umbrella? Yeah, I've had this conversation with Chad, uh, and, and I 100% agree with, with what he says. I think he says that there are some uh, trends in robotics that mm. get hyped up. Well, I don't know if hyped up, but to get a lot more attention, and, and they're they're exciting trends. But then getting something that getting something published that looks different is difficult because people are expecting a certain type of paper, and uh, um, and I 100% agree with that. I think one of the one of the best examples I can give of that is actually RSS, right? So I think you know I think I think very highly of RSS. I'm very committed to that organization, um, 
but it's really hard to get systems papers through robotics science and systems review process. And that's because it's they're different. They're a little bit different. They're not, there's not one technical contribution typically that says, okay, oh, this is the new technical thing, but rather there's the system science and it's, it's hard to review those papers. Right? And those, those papers kind of sometimes struggle. So that kind of, uh, um, the need to look broader and to kind of figure out, okay, this is an interesting contribution to, to, to research, to our, our understanding of what robotics is. That is something that, uh, um, that needs to be emphasized a little bit more. And it's, yeah, I think if you're used to a specific type of paper, for example, it's hard to see how other papers make contributions, even though they do. So I think that, I, I, I think, I mean, not to speak for Chad, obviously, but um, those are the things that I've got from, from conversations with him, and I 100% agree with that. So, you know, it's a matter of, of whenever, you know, here's, here's a concrete thing, right? Whenever you're reviewing a paper, and this is, you know, this is not me, this is all, pretty much everybody who's ever been a, a program chair uh, uh, in anything would, would say, or an area chair or uh, associate editor, is whenever you see a, a new paper, think about kind of, does it, does it teach you something new? Is it something you didn't think about before? Is it something new, even if there's no one new algorithm that has this much improvement over the other algorithm? So yes, intellectual diversity is definitely, definitely connected into this inclusion idea. So I spoke a lot about um, kind of more identity, um, diversity and identity, uh, but that also influences your, your your experiences, your your uh, interests, also uh, influence your the intellectual directions you take, and uh, and we need to be better in, in looking at the um, at the contribution, even if it's not quite in the format you're used to or the kind of the way you used to thinking about the world. So, yeah, hundred percent. That's part of this. It's harder to it's it's harder a little bit to articulate exactly the differences there. So yeah. yeah. I think it's also interesting because for example there's a report about robotics designed for a queer publication uh revelation sorry and also for example the bias we have in um, in AI algorithms. So I think that's kind of maybe correlated to intellectual inclusiveness. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to ask you if when you expect we can reach level of being inclusive if you look to to how many years you would expect that we have a community that everyone is here and and speak up for something just you are not convinced about uh, whether scientifically or in your work ethics anything when you expect this could happen i have no idea i really have no idea it's, uh, I mean, we don't have that in society in, in general, right? So this is not something that's, uh, uh, we don't live in a society that is accepting of everybody, far from it. Hopefully the robotics community will do better than the general society, but uh, I think it's important, you know, it's important to have these conversations and increase awareness and things, and things are getting better. Um, I, don't, I don't even know how to define to be fully inclusive, right? There, a hard question i don't i don't know but i'm but i am hopeful that things are getting better there's a lot definitely a lot more um uh, a lot more support from funding agencies and interest from funding agencies again this is very u.s centric mm -hmm. uh, my perspective is very u.s centric um 
um, which makes me happy. <laughs> not, not the perspective, but rather the fact that there's funding agencies are putting a lot of emphasis on this, on, on showing that you are actually reaching um, the, the whole notion of broadening participation, which is part of it, and um, and a lot of uh, conversations around um, uh, PI conduct, which is also becoming more and more apparent uh, these days. So. Things are getting better. What, when we're going to be fully inclusive, I have no idea. I don't know if that's even possible. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, if I ask you about the progress, Jay, how do you see the progress so far in, in when you started RSS inclusion? How do you see the progress? Yeah, I don't know if we can, I can see, not since, I mean, it's been two years. So really it's not, um, I don't see, pro, it's like, not so much that I see progress from that. Uh, I just see a lot more discussion, a lot more awareness. Um, both at uh, kind of, if I think about universities at the administration level, there's a lot of kind of really cool organizations that are supporting a lot of uh, participation of a lot of, of people. So the women in robotics uh, workshop that, that you guys organized. And then there's, you know, different uh, in, in large AI conferences, there's a lot of uh, initiatives like uh, Black in AI and, uh, and uh, women in NML. And uh, there's a bunch of different uh, initiatives that that are just increasing representation by actually helping people show up, right? Because mm -hmm. the more, the more, I'm, I'm a huge believer in critical mass. So, you know, the more people you'll see that, that are like you, the more you will, see, you can see yourself doing this thing, the more, the more di diversity, the more, uh, uh, the more, the richer the environment becomes. So, mm -hmm. yeah. No, so I, I'm very hopeful that you know inclusion in RSS will have that impact at some point. But you know, we, I don't know that we have, we're we're definitely not there yet. It's a, it's a it's a process. I think my my hope for and and you you guys I mean you you did the uh, both the, for people who don't know both uh, Tori and Marwa are uh, co-chairing the inclusion in RSS uh, 2020, which is going to be a little bit different this year because we're going virtual. So you know it's going to be we'll see. We should talk about that. Um, I'm interested in changing the direction slightly, and I'm curious in knowing more about your, like, I don't know, hopes and dreams for robots seems very cliche, but maybe like things that you're really excited about in robotics right now, or even ideas that you are, like, could see being really like game changers to where maybe your research is going or other areas of research in the field. I'm super excited about uh, the notion of, I mean, this is something I've been doing for a while now, so, you know, maybe super excited, uh, it's not, not necessarily something new, but um, we're getting more and more capable. So robots became becoming, as you know, more and more and more capable, especially with the, you know, the new perception algorithms that are based on deep learning and, and uh, new hardware platforms that are affordable and soft, robot, and soft robots and modular robots and just, a, you know, so many advances in the, in the last few years. And the question that I always kind of, that, that kind of guide my research is what can we say about these systems? What, uh, what kind of guarantees can we provide? How should we even talk about specifications? What, what, what should these systems do? Right? How do I talk about what a high level specification is um, beyond writing the code, right? How do, I, how do I go from a description of what I want the robot to do um, to, to automatically generating code that has some guarantees or, or 
controllers that have some guarantees. So that, those are things I, I kind of think about. And uh, we recently we've been, we've been uh, thinking about uh, in collaboration with a few colleagues on what does it mean also for, for HRI? So the notion of, of formal specifications for HRI, what does that look like? So we, um, so uh, uh, Kirsten Etter, uh, Guy Hoffman, and uh, Rashid Alami and me organized a doctoral last year. So that was that was a really exciting uh, doctoral. People who don't who don't know what that is. It's it's um it's a biomutation only seminar um, in Germany and in, in a specific place in Germany that uh, you can propose workshops and if if they accept it, uh, it's a week long um, week long seminar uh, that basically you run. Right. So the way we ran it was mainly uh, discussions and kind of uh, breakout groups. So very, very few talks and just so many new ideas came out of that. So I'm super excited about that. Mm -hmm. That and also kind of uh, robots that have, you know, modular robots, swarm robots, soft robots, things that are maybe less different from the traditional differential drive mobile robot. So. Yeah, what could be misconception you witnessed when you work in uh, in the field? Misconceptions, what something was concerning to you? Uh, misconceptions. I think people, I, I, not robotics, people who are outside of robotics, uh, thinks robots can, thinks think robots can do a lot more than they can actually do, or have, uh, or trust. I don't know if trust is the right word, but um, perceive them as being a lot more capable than they actually are. That's interesting, right? So, and, and I'm definitely not the only one who observed this. Uh, there's a lot of people who have written, uh, you know, wonderful uh, uh, think pieces and, and, and op-eds and stuff like that on, on what the, the difference between uh, what robots can actually do and what people think because of sci-fi and all that. So, mm -hmm. I think they, I think they, they assume more than we can actually do. But then, hence the whole, you know, the whole AI will kill us, robots will kill us conversations. Yeah, yeah. So I, I would like to go back to the point of funding because I think that's a very interesting point about uh, funding uh, for the project. Do you think, firstly, when we have a project in academia for robotics, for example, it should be project-driven or technology-driven? And also, when you highlight it's inclusive as well, to be inclusive in your research, whether intellectually or with the people you work with, how you would see this could improve um, the common decade of robotics, for example? If we employ deploy these concepts for funding, for example, I think there's definitely we can see in, in funding trends. There's a lot more emphasis on multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary, transdisciplinary, whatever whatever version of, uh, of something disciplinary uh, you want to think about. Um, and those kind of by definition require intellectual diversity, because you want to cross disciplines and people think differently. So. I've noticed in some of my my uh, interdisciplinary um, projects that there's a significant amount of time at the beginning just establishing kind of a, a common vocabulary. When I say this, what do I mean? Right? When I say model, what do I mean? When I say specification, what do I mean? So I think a lot of the the kind of the larger opportunities now in funding would require intellectual diversity, just just kind of by the way they're 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 structured. And the fact that they're um, in the U.S. anyway, um, and, uh, and specifically NSF, the National Science Foundation, requires in the large projects uh, to have a very concrete uh, broadening participation and, and, and broader impact plan. And they've always had a broader impact, but now they're putting a lot more emphasis on broadening participation. I think that will have really great impact uh, 
the future. So, you know, sitting on panels, I've seen people, um, uh, I mean, panelists and program managers take that seriously, right? If you write a, a nice research proposal and your broadening participation plan is terrible, it will affect kind of how likely you are to get funded. So it's not that it's, uh, people typically don't do, well, a lot of people are not just putting boilerplate in to, 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 get, to get to get rid of that requirement. People are really thinking creatively about how to to do these, uh, to make sure, to, to, broaden, to broaden participation in, in computing or in, in STEM. So that's really exciting to see. Mm -hmm. yeah. I was kind of wondering just to get your perspective on inclusion in RSS. So you were um, involved in the Women in Robotics workshop that was kind of a, a separate workshop that was kind of co-organized with RSS. Um, and then now we kind of institutionalized that through inclusion at, at RSS and, and you, you've taken, you know, you, you've taken leadership in that and, and which I am, you know, so thankful to you guys for that. Um, what is your perspective? So for me, when we first talked about transitioning from the women in robotics workshop to inclusion, a conversation that stood out with me. So I, I guess for some context, I started participating in RSS in 2017. I was a participant at the women in robotics workshop. I, my experience at RSS was interesting. Um, there were some really great things and there were some not so great things. Um, I then decided to help organize the 2018 workshop. Um, and then took a step back for the 2019 workshop, but I've attended RSS every year and have been incredibly fortunate to do so. And what I found every time I went is that more and more women that I were seeing were coming up to me and saying, Tori, can you believe it? I wasn't the only girl in my circle of people that I was talking to at coffee break. Hmm. And especially there were like senior women who had graduated from the program were now professors in the field were like were telling me about their experiences as early participants in the 2014 women in robotics workshops and we were saying they can could remember even in the short five years a time when their 15 of them were the only women students participating in the conference and so i really felt that the women in robotics workshop had come to a point of critical mass where we were at a point of 40 to 50 plus applicants. Um, we were The organization of that was becoming more and more logistically challenging in terms of getting funding to students and how do we incorporate some of those harder questions. And it really meant that transitioning to an inclusion at RSS, where we're not just considering the needs of gender as Hadas and Marwa have both brought up, but also the broader needs of inclusion in terms of intellectual, of different underrepresented minorities, whether that be LGBTQ, race, ethnicity, and those can be different based on the regions that you come from and maybe less well-defined than in the United States, those minorities tend to be really, really well-defined. Um, but I think that opportunity to then take inclusion in RSS and try to combine some of the things that we found worked really well at Women in Robotics has been an incredibly exciting prospect. Um, Marwa and I have spent a lot of time really trying to assess what does it mean to be inclusive? How do we make sure, as Hadass has pointed out, that people, are, that participants are able to see voices that reflect them? Um, so that it ends, how do we make sure that people who are participating don't feel like they're just participating because they check some box? Um, because unfortunately, 
that can be people can be left to feel like tokens if they're being invited to participate in either a student or other type of panelist or mentor role where they're feeling they're only being asked because of their xyz diversity category um, and i think those conversations that maro and i have had i have greatly appreciated and also see a really positive light as hadas has been saying about where we can go in the future in terms of how do we start bridging the gaps in the conversation so that we can reach the broader RSS community, but also continue to create space for students who are coming into this community with exciting and passionate ideas about how we can move robotics forward. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I want to go back to what Tori said at some point at the beginning, that the fact that sometimes people are self-conscious about uh, uh, about uh, attending events that are kind of labeled inclusion or, or all those and those are you know having people from uh, majority groups is actually very powerful because uh, especially if they come and listen and they 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 show support by by not trying to take over the conversation or saying that they know what the answer is rather listening to even even if there is no solution currently but even listening mm -hmm. to the problems and listening to kind of what uh, uh, the perspective of other people, that is very powerful and, and uh, can learn a lot from that, so, yeah. yeah. But do you think that uh, if we ask you about this question, how we can do this kind of activities in the lab for um, reinforcing the inclusions? How do how you think about this in the lab? Can we engage or encourage a student to work in that and be aware more about inclusion? Well, there are a few things, right? So there is the personal um, uh, example that you set. So a personal example that you set by treating people with respect, by listening to voices, by, by you know, uh, creating an environment in which people feel safe to talk. That's kind of the first, I think, step. Um, encourage different activities that are around inclusion i think mm -hmm. is also powerful right so so talking about you know what is included in rss just as an example we're talking about uh, uh encouraging people to to um to reflect on kind of what's around them right mm -hmm. so i I don't have a, you know, there's no recipe, right? There's no, you know, you must do A, B, and C, and then you're inclusive. You, you must not do, well, yes, there are some things you must not do, but that's, that's a different conversation. Uh, yeah, I don't know, you know, it, it's, uh, there are people who do really well. So I'm, I'm definitely gonna shout out to Radhika Nakpal, who's a professor at Harvard. Mm -hmm. She thinks a lot about this and she has, um, she gave a talk at well. She gave a talk at actually at uh, the RSS Women in Robotics uh, workshop in at MIT. When was it? 2018, um, 2017. Um, oh, Tori, we were there then. Did did you did you listen to Radhika's talk? Yes, I actually was fortunate to be able to have an email correspondence with her afterwards because I left the main conference feeling very much like I didn't belong to the robotics community um, and that I really shouldn't be in it. Um, and I went to, I was at the whole women in robotics workshop. And at the end, when Radhika talked, it really very much inspired me that there was hope 
um, and I don't know, hope might be an exaggeration, but it was a shining light that caring about equality and other people and the success of everyone around you, that it wasn't just going to be a dog eat dog competition for the rest of my PhD. Yeah. Yeah. So she came and gave it uh, the same talk, well, a similar talk at Cornell. It was awesome. So it's, it is recorded. I need to, I can find the link. Um, so yeah, so she, she, she does, she thinks a lot about um, inclusion and she has some really nice practices in her group, uh, which uh, I, I don't know if she ever wrote about it specifically, but um, yeah, I, it's, uh, that talk was very inspiring to me as well. I remember it was it was interesting because she gave mm -hmm. the talk at at the women in robotics workshop and there was it was I, th I think it was I don't know if I remember it was only women in the audience but it was probably not only but very few men and it was very emotional you know there's a, a it was it was a very good talk and and then she kind of she actually has it also I think the transcript is somewhere online but uh, yeah. Uh, she, she's a person that I like to talk to a lot in general, just because she's awesome, but also um, she has some, so she's very insightful, very insightful and very, and thinks about these things, um, about notions of equity and, and inclusion uh, in, a, in very, very interesting ways. Yeah. So if I ask you about you, the challenges you have, whether on a professional level, as well as your mission about inclusion and how what are the challenges you have well right now i'm working from home in my son's bedroom so yeah. that's a challenge <laughs> so i'm guessing it's a challenge that all of us are dealing now with the whole coronavirus uh, thing yeah. uh yeah um uh, i think it's interesting she says coronavirus i think how would you see the robotics tried this for this kind of pandemic. I think there is a lot of hope here for robotics field. Yeah, How do you yeah. imagine that? Yeah, there, there are definitely some really cool op-eds out there about uh, about robotics and coronavirus time and, uh, you know, supporting hospitals, supporting uh, uh, delivery, all these things. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see kind of how, what comes out of this. What are the lessons that we learned from this kind of self-isolation and ability of, of robotics to help with that? So that's going to be really cool to figure out in the next few years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, in terms of other challenges, I think um, for inclusion, I don't, I don't find. Well, I have not run into challenges in terms of starting initiatives or running programs. People have been extremely supportive in general, mm -hmm. and 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 you know, and, and 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 when they do, you know, and when when some of the ideas are not great, provide really really great feedback. Um, I think, uh, some challenges are, um, maybe on the, well, yeah, I, I actually don't know what to say there. So yeah, let's remove that. So maybe, uh, um, um, would we ask you how you would see inclusion in, in, in one decade, for example, how you imagine this could happen, like organization or something could help people and make sure that anyone affected or just be heard and how you would see the end goal when you started this first uh, since three years ago more how you envision this in 10 years coming when, when you start this kind of activities what do you what do you think about it in after 10 years 
Well, after 10 years, they kind of hope you don't need it. So, I mean, the whole mm-hmm. point of these things, and this is kind of the, what we did with the, I, I was involved in one of the women robotics organizations uh, for one year, uh, I think one year. Um, the whole point of these kind of initiatives is to make them obsolete, to make mm-hmm. make them not needed anymore because because it's no longer a notion of underrepresentation, right? So, so as Tori was saying, you know, we kind of decided to wrap uh, women robotics with inclusion by, by by putting more more of the emphasis on inclusion as opposed to to gender because we've seen we've seen better representation in terms of gender at RSS. So, I really hope these initiatives are so successful that we don't mm-hmm. need them. That they kind of, you know, I don't think it's going to happen in ten years, but. Um, but you know, I want to go into to a conference and just see, just literally see a lot of different representation, and um, and both in the technical content that I see, and in the demographics that I see, and in uh, even the the things that here's one thing that came up at RSS 2019, 2018, um, which again, this is this is my blind side, right? So so I'm able-bodied. Um, I have no no physical disabilities, and uh, we had a we had one of the authors uh, we had one of the authors ask for help with uh, closed captioning because uh, mm. the person is is uh, hard of hearing. Uh, and it's something that never occurred to me, right? Never occurred to me to have closed captioning in a, in a conference because, and then when, when someone actually brings it up to you and you're just like, why did we not think about this before? Because it's so obvious, right? It's obvious. It doesn't affect me personally. So it never occurred to me, but once someone brings it up, it is so obvious that it's such a good idea. And then we did that for 2018 and, and, and 2019 as well. And um, it turns out that it helped a lot of a lot of people. You know, for example, people who are, whose native language is not English, it helped them kind of keep track a little bit more of what's going on. And it's just like things like that um, are, are the things like that. I guess I'm coming back not so much to where we are in 20, ten years, but rather what inclusive, uh, what inclusion can help with, and can help with more than the, the people it's trying to target. That was such a good example of, of you know, something that affected someone specific uh, and then helping basically a lot of other people just because, you know, we did something that was fairly simple. We, you know, had someone that 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 uh, was closed captioning the, the event. So those kinds of things, those, those kinds of things of, of people feeling comfortable coming and saying, okay, this would help, this would make the, the experience better. Uh, those are things that I'm really happy about. That had nothing to do with inclusion at RSS, by the way, but uh, it was just a matter of, uh, of someone contacting us and, and just um, bringing up a great idea. Yeah, I think thank you to Tori because I think Tori can tell about that because she identified one applicant uh, is in a need for uh, is already American Sign Language. So if Tori can tell more about that because she made a lot of effort in that. Um, We've been researching, because our, our inclusion at RSS this year is going to be virtual, we've been researching lots of ways for how to make sure we can communicate with everyone as best we can across time zones and also meet the needs of applicants who their first language may be American Sign Language. Um, and so there are different best practices. So fortunately, teleworking has been a thing in the United States for a long time. So there are some really great resources out there for people who are, for people who aren't able-bodied to interact better with people who may have some type of hearing or visual impairment that would allow that over a teleconference 
And so closed captioning is something that's been suggested. There are a few other means that we're also looking into to try and make sure that we are as inclusive as of an inclusive participation event as we can be. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And, 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 and uh, well, not amazing. I mean, it's, it's once this technology exists, it's a matter of, of, of realizing that you need it. Right. And then, and then it, it helps every, you know, it helps everybody. Yes. There, there's no, really no downside to that. Yes. And so I think it really is, for me at least, it's identifying where my privileges are. Um, I, like you had asked, I'm able-bodied and some of those things just didn't occur to me until I saw it. And I was like, oh, I have privilege there and I need to dissect what that means for me, but also how to make sure we are building spaces that are able to hear what those people, what other people may need and listen to their concerns and really address them meaningfully. I think it's very interesting because I, given the situation of virtual conference, this kind of needs is not really considered uh, as we see other experiences. And that's something uh, I think we have to uh, stress on in this point. So um, I would like to ask you about in that if we have robotics that can, uh, for example, giving a services or help you and doesn't really judge you by your how you looks like or what is your color or something like that. Do you think we have robotics would be inclusive and not have any biases? No, I don't think that's going to happen because the robots are, are designed by people mm -hmm. and will have biases and it's ingrained, right? A couple of months ago in, in um, I, mean, I remember seeing it, seeing it on Twitter and I, I don't remember the person, but I, I could, I could look that up. Uh, there was, there was a discussion around uh, delivery kind of delivery robots that uh, drive on the sidewalks and the fact that when they drive on the sidewalk and when they go into the road, they go on where the curve is, is, um, is, is low. So it kind of can drive down to the road. And then someone in a wheelchair basically said, well, that robot saw me and it, it stopped because it didn't, you know, because the, the um, I'm guessing the collision avoidance algorithms, whatever might made it stop. And then the person couldn't get on, basically got stuck in the road because the the delivery robot was mm -hmm. blocking their way wow and uh and that's something that you know uh -huh. i don't i don't know this for a fact but i would imagine that if there was someone in a wheelchair working for that company it is very it's less likely that that would have happened mm -hmm. because they would have said you know what this is the, the robot is about the width of this uh um this place where you can get off the sidewalk easily to the road and if it, it stops, it's basically blocking, blocking the wheelchair from getting up. Wow. So I thought, that, I thought that was very, you know, uh, that's a bias. Yeah. It's an able bot. No. That's, you know, I wouldn't have thought about it. Why would I think about it? Right. It's, uh, that's why I need someone else to come in and be part of the design team to help me think about things I didn't think about because that's not, that, that's not my lived experience. So I, I found that was very uh, depressing and interesting at the same time. Yeah. It's a very important point. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. What are your final words for robotics for people who are maybe not in robotics but are interested in conversations about inclusion? How, what do you? What's the leading message you would like to tell everyone? That's a big question. <laughs> so, um, whatever I'm going to say now, I'm going to regret at some point probably. But uh, I think there are two things that I think are super important. Um, one thing uh, is to listen. So regardless of how good your intentions are, 
and and I'm, I'm most of the time the intentions are good myself included by the way uh you need to listen to what people tell you in terms of what they need don't assume anything right so you can assume that this is a, the right way to do this but it's really not so that's the first thing listening just listening to what people say to their lived experiences to their uh view of the world especially when it has to do with their identity so you know i've been uh People have tried to explain to me what it means to what what it means to to be a woman in, in in STEM, and you know what? I don't need that to be explained to me because I know that. I know that from my perspective, anyway. That's number one. Number two, and I, which I think is also something that uh, people have to realize, is nobody's perfect. Mm-hmm. We are going to make mistakes. Uh, all of us make mistakes, and then when you make a mistake, you know, see a uh, uh, point one. You need to listen. I need to accept the fact that you're wrong or that you, you didn't think about something in a certain way. And, and just, you know, I find sometimes people get defensive, which is very counterproductive and kind of, um, you know, doesn't, doesn't help with anything. And, uh, uh, you know, apologize, move on, right? Apologize, learn and move on. So I'm, I'm definitely not perfect in anything that I do. Well, period, but, uh, um, but in, even in, in notion, in this in this context of inclusion and, and broadening participation and and opening up you know the uh, the environment making sure that the climate is is supportive and everything I, of course i make mistakes everybody makes mistakes the matter is is what do you do later do you get defensive about it and 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 uh, and annoyed or do you you know it's it's, un- it's uncomfortable being wrong it's uncomfortable doing something wrong and then listen and learn so those are the, those are the main things I think, and if everybody would be like that, I think uh, our environment would be a lot more supportive. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. So much for talking with us today, Hadas. At the end of podcast, I would like thank you and Tori for co-host for your time. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me, Mara. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having. Thanks, Tori. Thank you.